Hello, welcome to episode number 37 of Gunfighter Cast. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. Today's episode, I'm finishing up my interview with Rob Pincus. I hope you really enjoyed the first part. If you didn't get the first part and you just pulled this one in because of your subscription to Gunfighter Cast off iTunes or Zune, then go back and grab the first one, listen to it, and then come back and listen to that. This one, you'll uh, have a little better understanding of where we're at and you'll get some more information from Rob and what he's got going on. Uh, really good interview, really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and play the interview. Stay tuned for right afterwards. Uh, got a couple little quick announcements, and we'll end the show. Uh, in the future, uh, you talked about you know, going international. You got international, well, you got international instructor teaching combat focus shooting. Uh, obviously, your book, and I have no doubt that you're probably already working on researching and taking notes and updating that as it is right now. Where would you like to see what you're doing and your company in the future? I think the main the main thing that we need to focus on as a company, and you know, we just had our uh, again our annual instructor conference. The main focus was getting uh, more activity with our outside instructors and and getting up the, the the industry, you know, the community, the training community, the customers to understand that combat focus shooting is a program, it's not a person. Um, you know, you, you maybe maybe trust me, there there are other guys in this program that some people would enjoy training with more than me. They may not like my personality. They may not like my style. They may not get my jokes, whatever. Um, there's going to be somebody in this program. I hate when that somebody doesn't play. get my jokes. Well, that's exactly <laughs> ruined the whole day. But I'm really there for the entertainment value. Uh, but no, seriously, it's, it's, I've got, you know, 80 certified instructors out there. We just had an instructor development program um, with seven students signed up and two got certified. I mean, we're, we have a less than 50% certification rate historically these guys have to earn their certification they don't buy it they don't just show up for the class um some guys work for over a year um, to get that certification from the time they start the instructor process forget about their end user skill development and um it, it's not an easy certification to get and we're very serious about it and we i've revoked that that certification um when i've seen evidence that people are saying they're teaching combat focus shooting but they're really not they're kind of doing their own thing and uh, I've said, okay, well, cool, do your own thing, but don't don't advertise that you're doing combat focus shooting, you know. And they get that letter that says, you know, don't use the trademarks, don't use any of that stuff anymore, the logos, whatever. So right. if someone's out there saying they're doing combat focus shooting training, that's a high value program, and they're they may not be teaching exactly like I do, but I may not be teaching exactly like they do. And and at any given moment, somebody out there is doing something that works better for some individual student. And and I think that's the focus of the company is is letting people know that it, it, you don't have to train with me. What you need to do is get out there and get some combat focus shooting training and, and then maybe take a combat focus shooting class from somebody and then take a Texas class from me. If you really want to train with me, that's awesome. And I'm flattered by that and I'm honored by it and I want to teach as many people as I can. I'm not going to stop teaching. I'm just going to be, you know, knowing that there's more people getting taught combat focus shooting because there's a, a bigger group of people teaching it. I'm still going to be out there every month teaching somewhere. You know, this, this month I'm teaching in, uh, I don't know, what month are we in October? So North Carolina, Texas, uh, Coming up here, I got a class in, in Reno. I'm gonna be teaching a SWAT roundup down in Florida. Uh, you know, I was just out in Colorado. So I mean, when are you coming to Okinawa? Okinawa is not on the list, but you find me a range behind a plane ticket. I have a range, and I have a, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have a trip, general that got that has Oak. funds. I can get you here. Well, dude, I would, I would love to come over there and work with you and your guys. Um, you know, maybe bring. You know, I've got a couple of Ken O'Donnell. Um, I want to do an instructor Farley, package uh, myself. Well, I, the way to start with that is the end user training and uh, move into the instructor development. You know, we always tell guys that, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into. Make sure you've trained with us. Make sure you train with one of our guys. Um, and we've got some guys that are, that are former Marine Corps that are really doing great things with the program in private sector and in law enforcement. Um, a couple of us will get on a plane and come out there and work with your guys as soon as we can. You, you set that up, and, and I promise you we will be there. We'll talk um, about that after this interview because I, I will definitely <laughs> – Work to hook that up, and I could sell this to my boss too to get him to pay for it. I have no doubt about it. That would be great. All right, that would be outstanding. What have you got going on in media, SWAT TV? If you can talk about it, I don't know if some things you might be able to talk about, you just contractual agreements and stuff like that. But what have you got going on around uh, the internet, the media, uh, TV, magazine, that kind of thing? Uh, well, the biggest, the biggest project um, is the personal firearms defense. Uh, video series, and that's a video series I'm working on for five years. Um, we're distributed through uh, Second Amendment Foundation, uh, Guns and Ammo Magazine, uh, the NRA is our biggest distributor. And that project, we have uh, about 40 videos that have been created for that project. Probably uh, about 30, 35 have actually been fully edited and released. 
Um, people can see those video titles at, at my website, ICETraining.us. Um, and a lot of your listeners have probably gotten those videos sent to them, um, either as a preview basis or to kind of join into this what we call a continuity series so I don't need through to, the NRA or one of those organizations. I don't need to illegally download them. I can go online and watch them. Yeah, you could. Yeah, there, are, there, are, there are some illegal downloads. I know they're available out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, that's the rough. The video clips are available through uh, personaldefensenetwork.com. There's some clips there. But the video series, is, and I say that's the biggest media project because – to date, we've got over 2.5 million videos that have been sent out, um, a lot, almost all those through the NRA. I mean, 90% of them through the NRA. And that's a huge influence. You know, if, if I, I was offered the opportunity to, you know, if I wanted to be the sort of uh, figurehead, program manager, whatever, of this video series, uh, starting with my own stuff, and then we've been branching out over the last couple of years of bringing in guys like, Bob Werner, uh, Grant Cunningham, Mike Sieglander, uh, Michael Janich, uh, Bruni and other outside instructors and having them put their, uh, you know, twist on it, spin on it, their special videos and their niches that they are real experts in. And I'm really proud of that series. And it's, it's just a huge footprint on the industry and a huge amount of, uh, students and, and people who are aware of me come from, oh, I saw your video, got your video from the NRA, got your video from Second Amendment Foundation. You know, so that's the biggest project. This is a perfect example to plug the NRA right now. You know, I, I, I get pissed off all the emails I get from the NRA. The ILL, ILA always asking me for more cash. They always want me to give more than I already give already. Um, it gets on my nerves. Some of the things that they bend on, I don't agree with. Some of the people they back, I really don't agree with. And, you know, things happen that would, I, the NRA pisses me off on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, who else has the power that they do? Who else is fighting for our rights? You know, they're out there. And this is a perfect example of how we give the NRA money and they put it into something like what you're doing and putting out some good information, giving it back to everyone who gave money. Yeah, and obviously, you know, it's a, it's a fundraiser for them. Um, they, you know, when you buy that video, a lot of that money goes to the NRA. That's, that's a lot more of it goes to the NRA than goes to me. Um, but that's great, and it's an awesome opportunity for me to, like you said, get that information out there. And, and the NRA has been real easy to work with. And, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of like, um, well, we don't shoot at people shapes through the NRA. You've got to shoot at, you know, circles and squares. And, you know, that's that lasts about two videos. And I kind of – and I said, well, this is a defensive shooting. We've got to be able to do this. And now, you know, in that time frame, we've seen them add programs like defense uh, outside the home, you know, the personal defense – personal protection outside the home, I think they call it. So they, their training has come a long way in the last five years, and, and certainly I think that putting out videos like combat focus shooting under the American Rifleman slash NRA banner um, is a big, huge step for them, and I applaud them for, for giving me the opportunity and appreciate it sincerely. And, and I know people have gotten a lot of good stuff out of those videos. Even if they do keep them for free and don't send any money in, uh, I'm still glad those videos are out there. I think that's an awesome thing that the NRA is doing. So the next biggest project after that certainly has to be the TV shows. You know, we get about a 120 to 150,000 households every Wednesday night watching something I'm doing uh, through the Outdoor Channel. The first uh, show I did with them years and years ago was Personal Defense TV. I um, was involved in several episodes of, of that show. It first started. At, then I was a guest uh, on Shooting Gallery a couple times with Michael Bain. That led to a few years back um, Michael Bain inviting me to be kind of the gun guy on this new show called The Best Defense. And the best defense has been hugely successful. Um, just last week, I was out in Colorado taping um, with Mike Janich and, and Michael Bain and our production team uh, from the Outdoor Channel and Wintercom on the best defense season three. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, this season, we're going to be dealing with a lot of issues that I think are, are important to the firearms owners that go way beyond just the shooting. So if you, if you look at it as a body of work, you know, we started – Season one, a lot of fundamental skill development, a lot of stuff from the combat focus shooting program. Season two, we started getting into training and context and how do you, how do you take these skills and train them on the range in a way that they're going to make sense for the actual scenarios that we show at the beginning of the show. We always kind of show a scenario. We show it going really bad. Then we show it going better. And then we show the best, you know, the best defense, the evolution. Well, this would be the best way to handle that. Right. Um, and then, and then this year we're really dealing a lot with, like, for example, one of the things that, that uh, maybe one of my least popular positions over the last several months has been this idea of open carry. And open carry has taken on this life of its own in the industry and in the community over the last, you know, couple of years. And I don't think it's a good idea. I think you give up a huge tactical advantage. I think that there are certain, there's a certain element in that open carry, uh, open carry proponent crowd that uses carrying a gun as a political act. Um, I think when you carry a gun, yeah. you're carrying it for personal safety. You're it carrying it for protecting yourself, your family. Um, well, it, it, it can be, but I don't think it should be. I think that what you should do is carry that gun for personal defense. And, and if you want to make political statements, make political statements. But the problem is when you walk around 
and start asserting your political opinion with a gun strapped to your, your body, um, some people take that as a negative. And obviously now you start making law enforcement nervous, right or wrong, and you potentially create a situation where people can get hurt. That's, and almost, this like, not, not, that's almost like uh, having big, huge, mean-looking bouncer-type African-American guys in front of bowling, uh, voting polls during the uh, presidential election, right? Isn't that similar to that? It, it, it did like that, and, and we're the first people to complain about that stuff. So why do we want to take that tactic on in our community and do that kind of stuff? I just don't think it's the way to go. I think you have to, to understand that there's a separation between personal defense and political activism, and they shouldn't gray. You know, those areas shouldn't get gray. We had a guy in Nevada um, get killed in July. He was carrying a gun where he shouldn't have been carrying a gun. He wanted to get into an argument with whether or not the sign was posted properly. Um, you know, if a store owner doesn't want you there carrying a gun, just leave. Get your bit, somebody right. else, just yeah. leave. This guy got into an argument, ended up escalating the argument into an argument with the police, and the police had, the police shot him because the police were scared. They, they were in fear their lives. They thought this guy was about to draw a gun on him, and they shot him. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge negative. Obviously, that guy did not make himself safer that day. So don't be that guy. So we're doing a couple shows with Best Defense that are saying don't be that guy. Don't let yourself get into those situations. He didn't help himself is the main thing I'm worried about. Now, that, that police officer's family, that community, his family, the entire gun-carrying you know, community, everybody was negatively impacted by that. Now, I, I can't yeah. say that, that what that guy did in that moment was right for him to do because there were some political and personal judgments that he decided to do. And that's, that's fine. I just don't want my students to be that guy. I don't want my students that they get shot to be the guy that gets shot by a cop. Um, and by by extension, anybody who watches my TV show, I consider a student. I mean, they're sitting there, they're watching, they're oh, yeah. evaluating what I'm saying, and they're potentially taking it on. So so Best Defense is huge. We had a, a spinoff of the Best Defense called Best Defense Survival, um, a show that deals with much more extreme scenarios. You know, how do you, you know, do everything from purify water to defend your home from a, an angry mob where they know you have, you know, food and supplies that they may want. Brains and, and to eat, that you mean? Stuff. Yeah, little 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 range card for the front porch is never a bad thing to have. So, um, you know, so we, we do that. Um, we do that show. And then, of course, I started last year um, SWAT Magazine TV. Um, I've been working with SWAT Magazine for about a decade. Um, they're an, an incredible group of people. Um, Rich Lucibello, the publisher, uh, is a good friend, a great guy. And he agreed to, to back me as the, the title sponsor in a new show idea I had called uh, SWAT, which eventually became called SWAT Magazine TV. But the idea of SWAT Magazine TV was to look at professionals' training and look at the people who provide training to the professionals. Um, so like this season, we had Dave Harrington, of course, um, you know, Super Dave, legend in the training community, uh, Jeff Gonzalez, uh, former Navy SEAL with uh, Trident Concepts um, in there. We had a lot of, you know, those are the kinds of guys we have. Uh, we have real high-level professional trainers and maybe some lesser-known guys who only work in the public sector, work with law enforcement, work with other people, and you wouldn't have heard of them. But at the beginning of the show, we look at them training and the training that they provide to professionals. And then by the end of the show, we find a way for that to apply to you. Um, we did some different things in the second season where we showed some some guys are, unlike me, they're really into objective standards, um, and they have standard qualification type things, and here's a way to measure your skill. We showed some of those things. And I think that's the big thing about SWAT means to me. It's not about me. It's not about combat focus shooting. It's not about my programs. It's about really looking at what the training industry is doing and sharing that with people at home and showing them how it applies to them. Uh, and my favorite part of that show is, is called the question of the week. And the question of the week is a question that during the taping, uh, the months that we work in the show before it airs, I ask all of the instructors the same 10 to 12, 15 questions. And then we edit their answers together. So, for example, one of the things I mentioned earlier in this, this discussion we're having was, what's something you've changed your mind about? Well, that was a question we asked all the instructors. And some instructors were real quick with answer, like, oh, well, I changed my mind about this. So, you know, I used to teach fever, now I teach isosceles because of this reason. Other guys were, were a lot harder to get an answer out of. A lot harder to get a straight answer out of what have you changed your mind about? What is something that you now think isn't the best thing to teach that you used to teach? And sometimes I had to ask that question three, four, five different ways to get a, a, get a useful, meaningful answer. And that's not a negative slight. Obviously, I respect all the guys that I, I wouldn't have them on the show if I didn't respect them and think they really had a lot to contribute. It's just that we as instructors normally don't think that way. We think in terms of what do we do, what, what good information do we have? And as human beings, we try to you know, forget about the mistakes we've made or the things we used to teach that we don't think are the best things to teach. So we'll ask everything from you know, how important is round count to what kind of targets you like to use you know, what, what kind of holster do you choose? Whatever that question of the week is, that's my favorite part of Squat Magazine TV. 
Um, it really challenges the instructors, and it shows everybody that's watching that even professionals at a very high level can have different opinions about things. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so that's a big that's a big media deal. Um, PersonalDefenseNetwork.com is uh, the biggest online thing um, that I've been working on this last year. PersonalDefenseNetwork.com uh, that is a sister project to the video series. So it started as a lot of video clips and then articles from myself and other contributors to the video series. So again, you'll see like Mike Seeklander there. You'll see uh, Mike Janich there. And then it expanded to include articles um, all related to personal defense. So we have like, some fitness articles from uh, John Brown of Prod Pedagogy. Um, we have uh, mindset articles from a lot of the instructors. We have uh, some new, new contributors that are actually coming on this call to add some, some components uh, that we haven't had before, some guys with a lot more law enforcement perspective, helping people understand mindset and training. Uh, as well as the civilian instructors and some unarmed stuff and continuing with the fitness and the health security. So personaldefensenetwork.com is a big online project. And then, uh, you know, every single day I'm on the Facebook. You know, and had some days I've been talking about, you know, goofing around and, and taking a weekend off in Chicago like I just did. But, you know, almost every day there's some kind of picture or link or some comment made somewhere about the training. We have a ICE training uh, group page of, you know, with a lot of pictures and a lot of information, a lot of student feedback. Uh, stuff like that. So the Facebook is kind of a daily place to kind of get your Rob Pinkins combat focus shooting fixed if you're interested in what's going on. And like I said, this week there's not a lot of training going on. This weekend I'll be down in Texas, and I'm sure we'll be putting stuff up, pictures from the course and things like that. So, uh, yeah, we, we do a lot of media stuff. Um, there's a lot going on out there, and, and it's really easy. You don't have to buy the book. You don't have to pay $450 to come to the two-day class. If, if you're interested in what we're doing, there's a lot of stuff uh, online if, if, you're, if your Google search is free. Yeah, yeah, Rob's. Uh, I'm following Rob on Facebook. You can find him on my friends if you're friends with me, my personal webpage. I'm um, not sure if he's a fan of Gunfighter Cast. If you can find him on, I, I absolutely am. Yeah, I've, I've got. Uh, I, in fact, I, I went and commented just before we started this interview, um, talking about uh, being glad to, to be doing this with you today. Oh, okay, awesome, great. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, but if you well, I was going to say something kind of off the wall, but I better not do that. It's going to be about bald, bald tattoo guys, but. Uh, I'm not even going to go there. Yeah, that's probably, probably good. Which is probably what you need to do, though. If you do come to Okinawa, we'll definitely have to go get shot up with a tattoo because there's tattoo joints. Oh, well, actually, I've, I've got two. I've got two that I want, and uh, I started when I started traveling in Europe. Uh, I started doing that. I started getting. I worked with one artist for about 12 years, and uh, only only used him for for that whole period of time. I usually get one piece a year or so, and then. Uh, Eventually, I just started traveling so much, and I had some things I wanted to do, and I ended up uh, in London, in Soho, uh, getting uh, a tattoo, uh, a word I was wanting to get uh, tattooed near a symbol I've got, and I got it tattooed in Old English script in England, and that sort of started me on the path of getting tattoos when I travel and uh, doing different things in different places, so that that gives me another good reason to uh, need to come to Okinawa. Yeah, you know, it's... uh... Man, it's I haven't had a tattoo in like uh, I think two years, almost almost two years. I haven't had one, and I've been going through withdrawal. I need I need more. All right, Rob. Well, uh, be careful about those. Be careful about those rib tats. Uh, I will tell you that I thought I thought I was okay with tattoo uh, experiences until I got a lot of work done on a rib cage, <laughs> and that was something to uh, you know. I've never got a lot of rib work done on a rib cage. I've got meat tags, like my dog tags on my ribs, which. It was a single needle. It wasn't so bad. I mean, there was a couple of points where it didn't feel too great, but that wasn't much. But I could imagine having a big tattoo and having doing a lot of color in there. It would probably be quite rough. But uh, probably my worst yeah, experience. I did, I did. No, I was going to say, I, on the left side, I just did some text and not a lot of shading. It wasn't too bad. Uh, but on the right side, I got a lot of shading work done. A long, it was a long tattoo, complicated tattoo. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely – I'm glad it's there, but uh, I'm glad I don't have to get another one. You're right glad it's too. over, right? Yeah. I, I've, I got a, uh, I had a little tattoo I want to get covered up a long time ago, and I've been spending like many years trying to figure out how to do it. And eventually, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not even gonna try to find something to cover this little tattoo up. I just want a big black band around my leg, the size of that tattoo, and I'll say it's for you know my, uh, you know, like 43 brothers that died when I was in Iraq and that were in my unit. So just go ahead and cover that thing up with a big black band around my leg and whoa there you go. that's a way to honor, honor them and i'm sure you could knock that out in okinawa while you're there for well i know i already did it i did it before i came out here and man oh you of, did oh, one cool. of the worst mistakes i ever made because they had to do it twice i mean this 
I'm talking a straight, just all black, and it's just a ridiculous <laughs> amount of ink. And then it had to heal, and then do it again. And oh man, it was rough. It was rough. But it's here. And I like yeah, it. but you know, for the right reasons, and it's there now. Yeah, and the same thing as you. Uh, I'm glad it's here, but man, I don't want it to do it again. If I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't. But uh, it's all good. All right, Rob, what's your favorite carry gun, and why? Over the last several years, I've carried a 642 Smith & Wesson J-Frame more than any other gun. Uh, it's reliable. It's real easy to carry. It's real easy to carry concealed, um, consistent with the way I usually dress. Um, you know, I'm not willing to wear around the photographer's vest. You know, I, I kind of did that, went through that phase and, you know, had the nine extra magazines and the two flashlights at all times and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And, Shoot you know, me first here. Yeah, you know, the fact is with my lifestyle, my tr- constant travel, you know, um, I'm, I'm literally homeless. Um, I do not have a, a home. I live in hotels all the time. I travel internationally. I spend a lot of time in big cities, uh, places that aren't very carry friendly. And, you know, I don't think that means I'm not capable of defending myself. But I think it means it limits the tools I have at different times. So, you know, I may be on an international flight carrying a, a cane, um, a hooked wooden cane that, that I've trained a lot of people to be very capable of defending themselves with and, and feel pretty comfortable with. Is it as good as having a, you know, a Glock 19 on my side? Absolutely not. But you, you work with what you can and you, you get, you get used to capitalizing on the best opportunities you have to be able to defend yourself and you don't become complacent or dependent upon any one tool. And, and that gun, obviously for a lot of people is the tool. It's like a magic talisman. Well, I have my gun, so I'm safe. And, and we know empirically that's, that's not always the case. So, right. Um, if it were up to me, I, I would be carrying that, you know, uh, probably today I carry a Smith and Wesson M and P nine millimeter. Um, I shoot that gun really well and it feels really good in my hand. It's very reliable. I've seen a lot of students really, uh, perform really well with it. And I know that I can perform really well with it, but the fact is historically, um, throughout my life, I've carried a Glock 23 more than any other gun. Um, I switched to the Glock 23 from a 1911 in uh, the mid nineties. You know, 14 rounds at 40 caliber seemed like a brilliant idea in that size package. And uh, it's very easy to carry. And, and you know, if you practice with it, you can shoot it really well. So uh, that was my, that's probably been my primary carry gun more often than any other gun um, historically for, you know, the last 20 years. But uh, as far as the, the actual gun I carry most often nowadays, um, it is that J-Frame 38. And I, I feel pretty good with that. You know, I feel like my most likely threat profile is going to be a close quarters, very quick engagement, um, you know, at three to five seconds. Um, if not in contact, very close to contact, and, and I'm very comfortable with, uh, with that particular firearm. So what's on you right now? What are you carrying right now? Right this minute, I've got the J-frame and an off-body carry bag. It's about 10 feet from me, um, standing in my mom's house. Okay. What kind of ammo do you load? Uh, I've, a lot of different people choose different types of ammo. What kind of ammo do you typically use for that 38? and say maybe you're still carrying a 23? You know, What kind of ammo would you use? Uh, and Honestly, uh, most of the time it comes down to whatever's there. So the, the why is really the convenience. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea that most of the modern uh, kind of bonded hollow points are going to perform very much the same. Most of them are going to put holes in bad guys pretty much, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, I'm you know, you. I really like um, the, the new Winchester PDX line. I'm really uh, interested in that. I, I'd like to do some more testing with it. I, I think when, you know, Winchester silver tips um, have been kind of my standard carry in that J-frame for a long time. Um, I've shot the PDX line. I've used it in a couple of those penetration demos that we do um, in the videos and on TV shows that are so popular. I really like that round. Um, I think right now, today, uh, inside the J-frame, there's uh, I've got three silver tips and, and two uh, hydro shocks. And I ended up with two hydro shocks in there because literally I had to do a demo, and I only had carry ammo. So in the J-frame, so I did. I fired two rounds of my silver tips out, and the first two bullets I came across that would fit in it were hydro shocks, so they got stuck in there. So <laughs> I'm not that picky about it. Um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, where you, you know, it's cliche, it's true. Um, hitting the guy and where you hit the guy is a lot more important than what you hit the guy with. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of, you know, ball ammo for a carry or anything like that. But I think if it's, if it's a modern hollow point loaded to any kind of uh, on, you know, the top end of the pressure for the gun that you're shooting, you can control that gun and uh, put those bullets where you need to put it. 
I think you're going to be well served by it. Yeah, and you get a little bit more flexibility with something like a J-frame than you do a 1911. You know, a 1911, you're going to want to put that round in there and see how it feeds with a whole magazine. You know, with a J-frame, you can get away with choosing different things. Basically, all you got to worry about is it summertime, is it wintertime? Is this going to penetrate heavy clothing? Uh, is it not designed to do that? You know, and if you can get, say yes, yes, yes to all that, then you got no issue. So, yeah, you, you get it with that revolver. Yeah, reliability... Uh, convenience, uh, those are big, big reasons to carry uh, a snub nose revolver or something like, you know, the Glock, the M&P, the XD. Um, those guns just work really, really well. And they, they aren't real picky. They aren't real finicky. You don't have to spend a lot of extra time learning how to use the extra little levers and buttons and stuff that some other guns have. Um, well, I don't know. The XD wants to add in all kind of extra buttons. Don't let me influence your next decision. I got a question, and I don't want to influence <laughs> it. I'm sorry. Uh, same question I asked everybody. You probably heard it earlier. Glock or XD? Uh, I would default to the Glock, um, but I've seen the XD work really, really well for a lot of people. Um, so my personal preference is, is obviously not the fourth generation Glocks, which which they should probably take back to the drawing boards and, and figure out what they're doing with it. Um, but the really? middle generation Glocks. Uh, I haven't shot I, one I or even touched one, so I don't even know. But I have well, I've only seen why. three in class. I've seen three fourth generation Glocks come through my classes. Two of them have had problems. Um, everybody I've talked to either hasn't shot it a lot or has had problems with the spring. I think that the, the, the issue they've got is that, that double spring setup yeah. that they're putting into the gun, like they used to have in the sub packs only. Now they're putting in the full-size guns, and they just haven't figured it out, obviously. I mean, they've put out oh. two or three changes to it since they released it. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because here's a product that for 15 years is – or sorry, for uh, – you know, I'm gonna cry. Don't ruin yeah, my reputation. Years. I've been I've been back and got hey. for years. Don't ruin my reputation, Glock. Fix it. Fix your problem. Exactly. Wow. You know that's just it. And everybody says, "Well, you're a Glock guy. You're a Glock guy. You're a Glock guy." And, and honestly, like I said earlier, I think the M and P is, is a better gun for me in 2010. But in 1995, that gun didn't exist. Um, so for 15 years, I've been carrying you know Glock products or have Glock products, ten book access safe or have Glock products on my side in a duty holster, whatever. When I had the choice. But there's a better product now for me personally. And I think that's why I recommend for people Glock, XD, or M&P, a place to start. You know, now, I'm... the XD has this issue with grip safety where in certain contact shooting positions, particularly when we start shooting to the rear, the way they would teach it, that grip safety doesn't always get actuated properly. Um, but for, for 99% of the shooting situations, I see the XD being a very reliable, comfortable gun for a lot of people. Um, but start with one of those three. Don't don't overcomplicate it with extra levers, decockers, safeties, things that you you really don't need to have on a defensive firearm in 2010. Right. Yep. You know, I've been called pretty much everything except for Glock fanboy. I've gotten as close as you can get to that without being called a fanboy. I don't know if it's out of respect or people don't want to hurt my feelings and piss me off so I don't do any more episodes of Gunfighter Guys. I don't know. But they never actually called me that. But they've done everything but that in iTunes reviews and emails and Facebook posts, all kind of stuff. But, you know, I know that every single time I reach for my Glock and pull it out, it's going to go boom when I pull the trigger. You know, it's I've had friends that have XDs that have had the exact same thing happen, and I like shooting their XDs, and I like you know I've thought I said before like what they do with their custom shop. I think it's cool what I can call Springfield and say I want this, this, and this on my gun, make it just like that, and send it to me, and they'll do it. That's awesome. You can't get that so much with a Glock. You got to customize it kind of after you purchase it, and that kind of also falls into later on whenever you go to court for shooting somebody in the face. And look, this isn't this gun. The, the the actually factory itself made this gun that way. This is what they did. I didn't modify it to become a killer or any accidental discharge or anything and i think that actually plays a little role the springfield you can do that with i have never shot an mp well actually take that back i shot a uh, mp 40 cal and when I, my first thoughts on this mp 40 were it was very abusive it was more abusive than a glock 23 uh my glock 23 whenever it fires sights came right back on target immediately in my stance uh this this uh, M&P, not so much. And uh, maybe, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the gun, maybe it was the ammo. I don't know. I was shooting a friend of mine. It's just whatever he had in the gun. I like the way that thing felt in the hand. I've held 9 millimeters. I'm really interested in that Pro Series uh, M&P, and I want to shoot a concealed, a smaller one. And uh, I think they're going to be good guns. I think they are good guns. And I want to get my hands on one. I'm stuck in Japan, and I've got a Beretta M9 and an M4 that I get to shoot like once every blue moon, maybe. But not that I don't love those two guns, but... I just I want to shoot other stuff too, but it's uh you know it's one of those things you know if does it come out and go boom, yes okay then I like it, 
and that's pretty much it. I don't care about grip angle or any of that stupidness. Well, I don't think it's, it's worth academically researching for someone who's interested in buying a gun. I think that they need to do is put it in their hand and see if it feels good to them and then see if they can shoot it well. It's kind of like you said, like the M&P 40 felt good, but you didn't feel like you could shoot it as well as something else. That's fine. Put it back down on the counter and pick up that other yeah. thing that works for you. And only in a situation where you're, you're forced, in other words, you're issued that M9. You, you've got fun to use the M9 well because it's an issued gun and you don't use it, that's it. But in the private sector, I'm not real shy about any, any of that anymore. I used to be a little bit more cautious about telling people, oh, you need a different gun. You know, and, and I think now I realize that's one of the things I've changed my mind about. And I've done some people a disservice over the years by helping them fight a gun that obviously did not fit them well. Instead of just saying, man, you know what, you're spending 15, you know, you spend $500 on tuition, you spend $500 on ammunition, you're spending $300 in two nights in a hotel, you took two days off of work, you're wasting the <laughs> And that guy tells you your you gun's not working for you. Wow. And yeah. Well, no, but the thing is, you now it's going to cost you $100 in a couple days worth of effort to trade that gun in to get a different gun. It's worth it, man. You're investing so much in wanting to protect yourself and wanting to be serious about it. Get rid of that gun that doesn't fit your hand. Get a gun that does fit yeah. you better. Get rid of that gun with the extra levers that's not really reliable. Get a gun that's going to work and that maybe not be as pretty, maybe not be as cool with the IDPA match, but it's going to work when you need it. And I think that's worth the $100 difference or the effort. And the good news is most of the guys that have the guns that don't work well for them, they're expensive. There's some custom shop, 1911, or they're this manufacturer, this, or there's something with, you know, some something with some pretty wood grips or magic rowbar finish. And a rowbar finish is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but if you're if you've got a $1,500 gun that doesn't fit you, then that rowbar finish isn't doing you any good. Yeah, not at all. Right? You got to start with a gun that's gonna work. Yeah, and you know, I say it all the time. You know, people, I get I, that's the question that I get the most in my inbox is, what kind of pistol should I get? I want to buy a new pistol. I want to starting off. What should I get? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what kind of pistol to get. You know, and my my advice is always the same. I've said it in about three different shows, and I've said it in a thousand emails. Uh, go to the range. Go to somewhere where they rent guns. Get your hand on every single one of them. See which one fits you. The Glock is awesome for me. I love the Glock. In my stance, my very aggressive high bore axis grip. That me and that Glock get along. We see eye to eye. We're buddies. It's a party. In, it's a party in my hand, and that Glock's invited every time. But for some people, that just doesn't work at all. That Glock, the worst gun forever for them. Uh, just go out there and get your hand on some guns, shoot with the guns, and see which one you like. You know, and see which one works for you. Yeah, I agree with that in, that that piece of information there. I've got an article up at PersonalDefenseNetwork.com on how to choose a defensive handgun. Um, it's you know, and hit the Google. You'll people will be able to see my opinion on it. Um, you've got to have you've got to have the gun in your hand. You can't really make that final decision in any responsible way unless you've shot the gun and found it to be comfortable for you and reliable for you and controllable for you. Yep. All right. Mossberg 500 or Remington 870? Ooh, uh, by emotional uh, comfort for myself, the 870, um, I love the 870 and use the 870 a lot. The fact is that the Mossberg safety uh, position is probably more uh, ergonomic and intuitive for most people who are starting fresh. Uh, so I'd probably default to that for the, the, the new user myself. Um, I've shot the 870 so much that yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with it, and, and I like it. Uh, I've got so many reps on it. Sometimes we tell students that come through the class, and we talk about not being dogmatic. If somebody comes through the class with a technique that we don't necessarily recommend or we don't know to be objectively the most efficient, but they've got dozens of years of training or you know thousands of hours of reps or whatever doing it and, it, and they've made it efficient, then we let them keep it. We're just like, man, I'm not going to try to change you, but the person next to him that's a blank slate needs to understand why that person is keeping with that rut in the road that they formed, and I'm going to recommend the new person do something else. So, again, it's kind of like you said, the Glock fits you, but maybe it's not for everybody. The 870 feels really good in my hand. Um, carried them a lot, shot them a lot, competed with them, uh, you know, gone hunting with them a lot. But um, the Mossberg 500 probably starts as, as a default, uh, more efficient gun. Yeah, you know, I like the 872, but, man, I hate where the action lock lever is and I like yep. where the safety is for a pistol grip, but not so much for the sporter stock. But, you know, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I told told George Hill whenever he was on, and he showed me a link, and I got it in the show notes, to a gun that they're developing over Crusader. Whenever they have a safety where I can press it as my fingers extended or with my thumb of my firing hand, cross ball safety, such as what's on the, uh, you know, Benelli 1014, M4, or, uh, you know, the 870, and also have an action lock lever underneath that, 
or at least on the side where I can, in, whenever my finger's extended along the trigger guard, I can press that action lock lever and release that slide. You know, once we get those, then I'll switch to that new gun. But for now, I, you know, got to stick with the Mossberg. Yeah, I'm sure that anything that uh, George is involved in is certainly worth looking at. Uh, like I said, he knows more about guns than, than really, you know, I, I can't say anybody I know, but he certainly, if I need to know something about a gun that's been, re, re, you know, released in the last five years or modern cutting edge, you know, what's going on with this, what's going on with this, he is definitely uh, on a very short list of people that I will call and expect a really good answer from. Yeah, I've noticed that. I bother him every once in a while. Okay, lastly, you could probably see where this is going. We hit Glock and XD. We hit Mossberg versus Remington. Uh, we're not going to do Apple versus Windows PC. Are we going to do Mac? Are we going to do the? Uh, what, we're not going to do the Mac versus PC. Are we going to do uh, M4 versus AK? Yes, AR versus AK. Uh, I'm going to go M4, and, and the main reason I'm going to do M4 is predictable response pattern. Um, the idea that when that gun, when certain things happen with that gun. I'm going to be able to do certain things to get it fixed and not have to be second-guessing myself. Uh, so fundamentally, uh, also the efficiency of the reload, the efficiency of getting the gun back into action um, because of the where the, the magazine release and, and the, the way that I'll reload that gun. Um, those are really the two main things. So there's an efficiency issue in terms of getting it reloaded, and there's a predictable response pattern in terms of malfunction versus reload. And with an AK, you don't get that. So um, with an AK, you know, click means reload, except... Maybe it doesn't mean reload in the middle of the fight, and I could have got back into the fight faster than finding another magazine, stripping the mag, and inserting it. You know, and that's a problem for me with the, the fact that it doesn't lock open. Now, there's a lot of guys out there trying to turn an AK into the M4 um, with with safety levers and ambidextrous safeties and safeties you can work with your thumb and stuff like that. You know, I think that's great as an academic exercise, but at the end of the day, if you're going to turn your AK into an M4, just buy an M4 that's in, you know, 7.62. Yeah, uh, buy a 30 caliber. You know, a 7.62 by 39, uh, and you're good to go. Um, a really good friend of mine, um, we bought our first ARs together um, back in college uh, at Perot's Gun Shop in Waterbury, Vermont. And, and I bought a 5.56, and he bought a, a 7.62 by uh, 39, and, you know, they both worked really well, and they both were really efficient, and everything was cool. The, the fact is that the AR platform, I think, is much more ergonomic and much more efficient to use in a wider situation than the AK. Now, the AK is much more reliable, I think, in general, um, and it's sort of a sturdier and simpler. There are less options. There are fewer things that you, you need to do with it. So if, if you're going to shoot less than, your, you know, 20 or 30 rounds, pick that AK up, and it's going to work for you. Um, the, the safety uh, needing to be actuated when you go to the ready position, to me, is kind of like a Glock. Once you put that Glock in your hands, when you touch the trigger and press the trigger, it's going to go bang. Um, with the AK, that's how we teach it, is take the safety off. You've got a longer, a little heavier trigger pull than, than you would with an AR. Um, the AR has a shorter, crisper trigger pull. Uh, obviously, that means you can have better marksmanship uh, capability at the extreme edge, but probably not in the defensive context. In the defensive shooting context, you're probably not going to need that extra trigger control that you can get out of the AR. Yeah, so close. you can make an argument either way. Uh, my argument is certainly going to be for the AR. Um, I like the fact that you can run it on safe, take the safety off as you come up. I like the fact that, you know, click means deal with the malfunction and you're going to get a bolt carrier lock that signals you to do your reload. I like the fact that you can release the magazine while you're reaching for your other magazine, get it out of the way by getting the magazine release. But I'll say this, I've seen a lot more popularity in the AK and I've had a lot of students come through classes, a lot more students in the U.S. come through with the AK um, over the last couple of years. So what I did um, last year was say, okay, if I have more students coming through, I need more AK trigger time. I need to do a little proof of concept in, in that I've been teaching people how to use the AK for a long time. And I've been using, I owned an AK, uh, one variant or another for, you know, almost 15 years. Um, but I need to, I've never taken an end user class. So I, I put myself into a two day class, um, with tactical response. I think tactical response is one of the, uh, you know, leading organizations in terms of AK skill development, um, in the country. And they had a class that fit my schedule. So I took a class with them. I took a two day class and I changed my mind about some things, some things that I wasn't doing. Uh, and some things that I was doing. And that helped me to evolve um, what I recommend to students that come to a combat-focused carbine class with an AR, or, I'm sorry, with an AK. Um, you know, they, they definitely benefit from my exposure to, to some of the stuff uh, on range with tactical response. And, and the fact that I actually ran a gun for two days and shot over a 1,000 rounds and, and really got more into it. And I think, um, you know, that, so you ask how do we keep fresh, how do we stay 
um, current, you know, I go to as many classes as I can get to, you know, especially training conferences. Um, training conferences are great times for exchange with other instructors and seeing what's going on. So um, the AK definitely has a place. I wouldn't throw it away. Um, if someone handed one to me and said, hey, you need to defend yourself with it, I'd be fine. But uh, I'd choose the AR first. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I want an AK really bad, and I like the AK. I don't like the controls on them. I like, like you, I prefer those uh, AR uh, controls so much better than I do the AKs. But, you know, this the AK, it's it's been around so long, and it's a great gun. And you know what I think that, that AR gets a bad rep for and the M4 gets a bad rep for? People are so quick to say that it's unreliable, and especially AK users do not give that gun credit that it's due. The M4 well, is an incredible reliable M4, weapon if you the take AR, care of it. If you take care of it. And it's kind of like the 1911 of, of carbines. And, you know, the 1911 can be a great gun, but guess what? Most of them that I see come through class fail miserably. And that's from every manufacturer, from every level of, you know, I got all these magic, you know, barrel this, that, coating, grips, practice, I do IDPA, I do yeah, it. I had a $2,800 Springfield Armory yep. custom MC operator that could not go through five magazines without multiple stoppages, failures to feed. Exactly. No matter what kind of ammo so, I was using, it was just so gummed up because the tolerance were so tight. It didn't matter. And I see that in some people's ARs also. You know, I was talking about a rowbar finish. I just got a bolt carrier and charging handle um, that, that uh, Robbie Barkman now is shipping directly from rowbar um, pre-coated. So you just you just buy your bolt, your whole bolt, bolt carrier and charging handle from them, and it comes uh, pre-coated, ready to go. Um, you know, and, and that's that. Finish obviously is incredibly reliable. I've had a lot of experience with that finish on handguns. Next week, I'm going to have some time on an AR, and I'm going to drop that uh, bolt carrier and charging handle in there, and actually kind of test it out and see. Uh, I'm going to try to run it dry and see what happens in just kind of a standard. I'll use one of my um, you know BCM uh, Bravo Company manufacturing ARs, drop it in there, and see what it does. And I'm really looking forward to that um, because if we can do things to increase the reliability without having to have the asterisk of if you maintain it, if you take care of it, then I'm, I'm going I'm to like that. I'm going to start pushing the students towards that thing, even if it costs a little more, um, because that is that is the one downside, is that the AK will just run. Um, it doesn't run as well, quote-unquote, in terms of potential and capabilities, well, you know, but it does run. When I took care of my M4, or actually M16A2 in the OIF-1, then M16A4 in OIF-2 uh, and 3, you know, basically when I say take care of it, it meant that, Every once in a while, I'd break it down, like shotgun style, take the bolt out, I'd have like a, a donkey dick kind of thing, you know, like a little thick bro- camel hair brush, brush this thing off, knock the dirt off of it, squirt a little lube, and I, I perfectly, at the time I used rim oil, a uh, little Teflon base in there and stuff, I would spray some, some uh, the actual can has an aerosol can, so it actually has pressure to help blow stuff out if there's something in somewhere, so I would, I would spray a little rim oil in there, put it back in there, Ready to go, and this thing would rock. Never experienced a single single stoppage over, easily over 300 rounds. Not even a single hiccup, nothing at all, and it just ran great, and no issues whatsoever. And I've been to ranges and been to training environments where we were just dirty all the time, and then we had to start shooting, and uh, you know things happen. The only time that gun starts breaking down is if a part breaks. You know that extractor spring dies, the extractor breaks, something happens, you know something like that, which is rare. And we're shooting old guns, and that may be part of it. You know the wrinkle we have old guns a lot of times, and uh, you know our tolerances, what used to be tolerance, are now wore out. But uh, you know, I've seen these things operate I think that in some is horrible environments. Yeah. I think it's the newer guns. It's when I see some guy show up with this new gun, cost him $2,500, and he's got a $600 optic on it, and he hasn't really shot that much, and it's never gotten dirty, and you know he doesn't have a skin on it. Those are that's when my radar kind of lights up at that combat focused carbine class. Like that gun, I'll expect to have problems, and, and nine times out of ten it does. You know, and the guy who's got the gun, it's like been you know scratched and spray painted four times, and it's got you know, I mean, the most abused guns that I saw were the ones that came out of plastic cases with guys that had some really cool t-shirts and you know wanted some fancy units you know those were the most reliable guns i've seen in training environments and those <laughs> oh, yeah. guns are beat up and scratched and dirty and you know they've been painted six different times and and you know they're literally they come out of a box piled on top of each other and uh you know put a little lubrication on them and, and run through a lot of training yeah. and a lot of reps and a lot of rounds those guns work the guns that have been babied and put in cases and, and like i said cost two three thousand dollars and were manufactured within the last couple of few years those are the guns historically that will have problems on the range, and uh, I think that's very telling. You're right. You know, people give me a hard time 
because people have talked, I've talked about, you know, I paint all my guns. If I get a gun, an, an AR or an M4 or something, I'm going to paint this thing. It's going to be the color of the environment that I expect to be operating in. And I'm going to use, go to Walmart, and I'm going to get the camouflage Krylon paint. And that's what I'm going to paint it with. People are always, like, sending me comments and sending me emails making fun of me. Other podcasts make fun of me saying that there's other finish much better than uh, the Daniel Shaw paint or whatever. And I use Krylon because if I scratch the crap out of it, guess what? I'll just spray a little more Krylon on it. That's all that matters. You know, my, the outside of my gun doesn't care about what the inside of my gun does. You know, it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter, in my opinion. Good time, so nothing more fun than painting a gun and then shooting it and getting dirty and then having to repaint it. <laughs> once you get used to it, I think, you know, once you overcome that, oh, my gosh, I'm ruining the finish of the gun kind of concept. Oh, no, you're fixing uh, it. You're repairing that finish. Yeah, that exactly. black finish, nobody wants that. <laughs> it's custom. <laughs> it makes it real easy to get used to. Oh, yeah. It's a good time. All right, last question, Rob. Uh, where can Gunfighter Cast listeners find you on the web, find out what your uh, uh, ICE is doing, what uh, you're doing with Combat Focus? Where can they find your book? Where, give us some, all this information. Put it out there to us. All that stuff is at the ICE training website. Um, I, you know, I say ICE, it's not ICE. It's, it's Integrity, Consistency, Efficiency. That's what those initials stand for. Um, ICE Training.us. Um, of course, it, it took out and put it in Google. It's kind of focus shooting, ICE Training. Put it into the search engine of your choice and you're defined. Um, ICE Training.us has the online store. It's where you can see the videos. Uh, certainly, you can order the combat focus shooting book. Um, it's available on Amazon, all those other places. Um, you know, I, I can be directly responsible for making sure people get it uh, in a timely manner if they get it right from my website. Uh, other than that, personaldefensenetwork.com, again, a great resource. A lot of my information and a lot of information from other contributors that I trust and I think have really important things to put out to the training community, people who are interested in personal defense and safety. Uh, the Facebook, uh, you can find me out there. Um, you can find IC Training there. You can find SWAT Magazine TV there. And, of course, uh, that leads us to Wednesday nights on the Outdoor Channel. Um, people can see it there. Um, they can go, also go to downrange.tv which is a uh, website, forum, and blog site um, owned by Outdoor Channel. And uh, I blog there every once in a while. I just put up an article about the uh, Mid-Atlantic Training Conference last week. And uh, you can find a, a lot of discussion forums and things like that there, as well as over at PDN. So, you know, I'm, I'm all over the Internet. Um, pretty easy to find. And the book's out there. The videos are out there. And hopefully I'll get to uh, answer some questions from uh, Gunfighter Podcasters. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope you, you post on all these very popular blogs that you post on that you were on gunfighter cast and, and link it <laughs> no seriously oh yeah don't worry about that yeah as soon as we get the link those links will be up i'm gonna uh i'm gonna get that book and i'm gonna read that and check that out and then i'll let the listeners know later on what i thought about it and for right now from my initial assumption and what i learned from the uh, uh rob used to do a podcast uh he didn't really do a podcast he just did his combat focus shooting and he recorded it and put it on the itunes in podcast form uh you can check that out and listen to it it's a few years old but uh, a lot of the information is still very pertinent to today. Uh, if you just pretty much or uh, do an iTunes search for Rob Pincus or uh, Combat Focus, it's going to pop up there, and you can find that podcast and download it and check it out. A lot of the stuff's really interesting. You definitely be worth listening to. Rob, did I forget? Well, I appreciate anything? it, Daniel. Yeah, now I, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, putting that information out of the podcast. It is. I forget about it sometimes because I'm in so much video work now on TV and well, all that's this stuff. World. That's my world. That's our world. So was, uh, we share it. Yeah, that podcast was was uh, really valuable, I think, to educating people about what we're actually doing. Like you said, it's not really, you know, like I turned on a recorder and started saying something for a podcast per se. I had audio recordings um, and, you know, the audio from video uh, recordings of classes and just thought, you know, let's put this out there. Let people listen to the lectures. Let people hear what it is we're talking about. And uh, to this day, you know, three, four years later, I still get a lot of people that are saying, hey, I heard your podcast and I wanted to train with you. So uh, I'm really glad that's out there. I appreciate you mentioning it. Yeah, no problem. Rob, when I end a show, I say uh, something to the effect of blah, 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 and then I say Gunfighter Cast out. Can you end the show with a Gunfighter Cast out for me, please? Let's do it, man. Everybody, uh, when you go out and train, you know, make sure that you maintain your integrity, you try to be as consistent as you can, and always look for efficient techniques. Gunfighter Cast out. I hope you just enjoyed the latest edition of Gunfighter Cast Training and Trainer Series, and I hope you listeners out there that want to go get some extra or additional training, maybe go a step further in your skills and knowledge, I hope you're getting a little something out of it and finding some places where you can go get some training and what you need to look for in an instructor. Um, if you don't go to some of the ones I've talked to, I think uh, 
at least some of the information I've given out here and I've gotten from the people I've interviewed and they've put out there for you is probably going to do you a little bit of good when you're trying to decide where you're going to go and who's going to you're going to get this training under. If you're a new listener and you've just started listening because I had Rob Pincus on, George Hill, or Masada Ayoub, and you follow their work and somehow you found my podcast, I'd like to invite you to go back and listen to some of the earlier shows. You can go through iTunes, look at some titles, or on the website at www.gunfightercast.com and look over some of the uh, different episodes I've done. Don't go back too far. I'd like to think that it's gotten better over the last year and a half. It may or may not have. I guess that's a matter of opinion. But I'd like to invite you to go back and listen to some of the other shows and uh, become a usual or regular subscribing listener. Uh, speaking of subscribing, my listeners who you know enjoy the show and listen to every one I put out, I thank you for doing that. But I'd like to ask you for a little bit of support for Gunfighter Cast. Now, it doesn't have to be money. You don't have to send money. There is a PayPal link on the website, but that's not really what I'm asking for. I'm asking for you to post something about Gunfighter Cast or just the Gun Rights Radio Network in general on your favorite gun forum you go to. Or you answer somebody's question on yahooanswers.com or something like that. And just cite where it came from. If you heard it on Gunfighter Cast or one of the other shows in the network, link their show. So we start getting some hits and get some more, uh, some more listeners coming in so we can keep spreading the word. Uh, tell your friends at work, tell your friends at the range, uh, that your IDPA matches you go to. Just kind of spread the word about the network and Gunfighter Cast or just the shows that you like. Uh, you could also contribute by placing an iTunes review on iTunes, be it good or bad. Be truthful. Say what it is. Uh, whatever your honest review of Gunfighter Cast is, throw it up there because somebody else may be looking at the podcast and think maybe I'll listen to it, maybe I want. Is it worth a download? And if they read what you put on there, if you like it, then you know it might help out. Uh, if you don't like it and you cite a good reason why you don't like it, then that might help somebody else realize, hey, this podcast probably isn't for me. But either way, uh, good honest feedback up there on iTunes always helps out bringing more listeners and gains the show's popularity. That's pretty much it for my little announcement, except for if you are new to Gunfighter Cast or you've been listening for a while, get over there at the Gun Rights Radio Network forum. Uh, you can go to gunrightsradio.com and subscribe to the forum, absolutely free, like most forums on the web. And get on there. A lot of good folks on there. You got all the podcasters on there that'll uh, converse with you through the forum. The pro arms teams out there. Eric Shelton from the Handgun Podcast. Bob Main from the Handgun World Show. Uh, Alex Haddix, if you're into the martial arts stuff or just regular practical defense. A lot of good shows out there. A lot of good stuff. Very, I guess, chill forum. If you can, if if that's a, a good word to put it. People aren't don't tend to be too high strung. Uh, kind of an older crowd which is really good for passing and sharing and absorbing information. So I invite you to go there and check out the Gun Rights Radio Network forums. All right, and that's pretty much it for episode number 37. Thanks again for downloading and listening. And I can't wait to talk to you next time. Until then, Gunfighter Cast out.